You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Amen. Thanks. How's everybody doing? Good. Awesome. Well, who here, you're going to raise your hand for this one, who here likes receiving cards? If you like receiving cards, okay, who likes writing cards for other people? Who likes to write cards? Okay, all right, so I think part of uh, our society, the, where we live, writing a card, I grew up with a mom who said you can't give a gift unless there's a card, and if someone gives you a gift, you have to read the card first. Um, so I'm about to turn 40, so my birthday's in October, uh, so you can start getting your gifts and stuff ready and your cards ready for me. Um, but I, I want us to imagine for a moment, uh, my bride, my wife, uh, who just read, Lauren, uh, writes me a, a 40th birthday card. And, and, and just, if you want to take notes, you can. Here's what she would probably say. <clears throat> Bill, you are the most amazing husband in the entire world. Thanks. Um, you know, people, like when you're reading the card that they give you and it's like awkward, you have to like respond to what they're saying as they're writing it. They're like, oh, he's about at this point. Um, and so, uh, you know, you, there is no man of all 8 billion men in the world that I would rather be with um, you are such a great husband, such a great father. Uh, you, you are great at doing these things and protecting our family and caring for our family and providing for our family. But there's just one thing. You don't love me and the girls very well anymore. Ugh. Well, wait, 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 what? Like, all the things that you just listed of why I'm an amazing husband, like I've, I, 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 you know, take care of the outside of the house. I, I do the dishes. I, I can cook. Come on. Like, like, I'm doing all the things. But why? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I providing? Why am I protecting? Why am I uh, uh, taking care of the landscaping? Why am I fixing stuff and building stuff? And, and you look on Pinterest and I have to execute, right? What, what, why? Well, it should be out of love and affection, and relationship. But often, it can be out of responsibility, obligation. But there's not a whole lot of relationship and obligation or responsibility. I mean, God didn't write husbands Serve your wife like you go to work and get a paycheck and clock out when you need to clock out. No, as, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it, died, put his will and his desires aside to give up his life for you and for me, so therefore love your wife in that way, out of relationship and affection and love, not out of a... A, a duty to be a good husband and, and, and get my family nice things. But I think often in American culture, maybe it's a Florida culture, maybe Southwest, but I, I've, I've seen this all over the United States. Um, so maybe in an American culture thing that we often slip into obligation and duty and responsibility over out of an overflow of love and affection. And, that, and that's really where we find ourselves today in this passage of Scripture. So, so here's the context of, of what we're walking into. So if we're in Revelation 2, 
We're in this series, Letters to the Church, Dear Church, and this is the beloved disciple John who is exiled on the island of Patmos, and Jesus reveals himself to John, and he says, write these things to my church, my bride. We see this reference to seven lampstands. Um, and that's the, the church, right? The, 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 the perfection, the fullness, the totality of his church, his bride, through messengers, the seven stars. And, the, and, um, and he says, illuminate what is in the dark and bring it to light. And specifically now, in, in chapter 2, we're getting into this letter to the church in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is a very significant city. It's a supreme metropolis of Asia. It would be where we would see modern-day Turkey is. That's kind of, if you're looking at a map, if you even know where that is, or my geography buffs in here, some of you are like, I don't know where that is. Um, but he's, he, they're in this place, there's some great highways that are converging in where Ephesus is. There's a major seaport, and we see uh, all throughout Scripture that there's this uh, amazing ministry couple, Aquila and Priscilla, that brings the gospel to this city. And they're the ones who actually shared the good news of Jesus with Apollos. So I don't know if you remember when um, Paul is writing to one of the churches and he says, um, you, you say you follow Apollos and some of you say I follow Paul. He's like, but we all need to be following Jesus. One plants, one waters. That Apollos, like Aquila and Priscilla, helped share the good news of the gospel with Apollos. Paul served in Ephesus for years, about two years or so. Timothy served the church in Ephesus. We've got John, the beloved disciple who's writing this, served. I mean, they had a powerhouse of leaders. They were set up in a significant city with the best leaders, like people that are spoken of in, our, in God's word, like serve them. They were set up for success, to be a powerhouse church in Asia. And so this is the context in which we're, we're coming into. Now, verse 1 sets the foundation, the foundation of this whole letter. And in verse 1, here's what we see. He says, and this should bring us some rest because some of this letter is going to get really heavy. Um, and it's going to kind of be that punch to the gut that you feel. But I want us to know what the foundation is before we get punched in the gut. All right? So, so here's the foundation. It says, he... Speaking of Jesus, the Savior, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, he holds. This is a present tense word in the original text. He holds the church, his church, his bride in his hand, in his right-handed power. They will be firm and not snatched. And it also says that he walks amongst them. And so he is present with his people. And so... He holds us firm, and he is present with us. So that sets the stage for the relationship. He does. He sets the stage for the relationship that the church has with him. So then now we enter into verse 2. Let's read it. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and are found them, uh, and have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. 
Here's, here's what I want us to start with and understand and know. God knows you. That may seem elementary, that may seem simplistic, but you have to come in this morning, wherever you are, whatever place you are, whether you have a relationship with God or not, you have to know that God knows you. He knows the good, your hard work, your toil, your endurance, your intolerance of evil, the judgment of false teachers. And, and the culture of Ephesus was harsh. So there's idolatry happening. There's adultery happening. I mean, to be commended for anything is actually like a really good thing in this moment for the church of Ephesus. It was special. I mean, I think we as a people, we, we love to be celebrated. Maybe not you, maybe it's just me. Uh, but we love to be encouraged, lifted up. We love uh, when, when people notice the things that we're accomplishing. You ever finish a project or a task? Men, men, come on, where, where you at? You ever get asked to do something at home or not asked to do something, but you know it wants to be done? And then you finish the task, and then you step back and you see the handiwork of your hands. And what's the hope there, right? That your wife comes skipping over, right? And she's like, oh, this is, this is everything I ever dreamed of, right? I mean, that, we, we, we enjoy that. We enjoy our neighbors to come over and be like, man, your landscaping looks good, right? It's like we, there's something about that in us. God knows the good. When we're convicted as believers by the power of the Holy Spirit, and then we obey, God takes pleasure in that. Like, like we have a God who takes pleasure in us. Like a dad going to his, his kid's sports game. I mean, I don't know if you've ever participated in the YMCA, but it's not like all-star soccer. But I enjoy watching my girls try and kick the ball. I enjoy watching them run around and have fun. Right? So there's, there's pleasure from God because he knows you and he knows the things that you're doing. And he also knows the bad. Look at verse 4. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Now, I don't know about you, but I am very thankful for a God who is honest. I don't want to, to be in relationship with somebody that's not going to be truthful with me, that's not going to tell me, like, this stuff. Like, if I'm hurting my bride in some way and I don't know about it, like, I would want her to tell me. The whole, oh, you should already know thing, that doesn't fly. That's not relationship. Like, it, it should be, hey, listen, this is happening and, and it's, it's hurting me. Because as a husband, I want to be the best husband I could possibly be. And she should want me to be the best husband I could possibly be. So, so she should be able to tell me, hey, this isn't going well. <laughs> and I should be able to receive that, and I should be able to, to change that. And, and so we have to look at this word here, abandoned, departed, released. We all have, this is all, we all have abandoned God for something. All of us. There's nobody in the room that's exempt from that statement. We all have abandoned God for something. And this is not just a current problem. This was a past problem that you each can, can talk about your story and say, okay, there are these things in my life that I've abandoned God and, and sought after at a higher priority than God. There's present things that you have right now. And there will be future things. So we are a, a, a split people where we wrestle between flesh and blood. Humanity 
has struggled with this since creation. This word right here, this Bible, is not uh, an account of success stories. This is an account of man's failure and God's victory. So we're not reading stories of, of David and Solomon and all these like different things. Like we're not reading these accounts thinking that these are awesome guys. Like Moses, he did some pretty messed up stuff. Abraham, same thing. Isaac, Jacob, I mean, you could just keep going down the list. Like, the, the idea of failure for humans is normal. And we were created to worship. But what ends up happening is we shift the love and the worship that we are meant to give to God to the things of this world. That's why Paul in Romans writes, we, we worship the creation rather than the creator. God created us to worship him. And then what we've done is we've shifted that focus to the things of this world. You could insert anything into that. And it doesn't necessarily have to be inherently evil. But what ends up happening is it takes our love, it takes our affection, it takes our time, it takes our resources, and it pulls us from having our worship and our attention and our affection and our relationship with God so that we can give ourselves to these things over here which end up becoming our God, which end up becoming our idols, which end up when they fail, because they will, by the way, when they fail, whatever is in this bucket over here, we crumble because we've set that as the foundation of our lives and not the only one that will never fail us that will never forsake us, that will never leave us. So we're coming into this knowing that God knows us and understanding that we are fully known should bring joy to every single person that says they are a Christian or a believer or someone who is born again. That should bring joy to your soul because you are fully known. Being fully known and still fully loved should matter to us. I love what Pastor Tim Keller, he's an author and a writer uh, and a pastor, wrote. And he says this. It's one of my favorite quotes of all time. This is the point of the service. You can take out your phone and take a picture of this because it, it's something that you should keep around and stick with you. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. God knows more about you than you do. He's seen your darkest sin. But because of what Jesus did on the cross on your behalf, he is pleased with you. That's why in Psalm 147.11 it says, The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. So in, in verses 2 and 3, we see that he commends these good deeds and this dedication and this sound doctrine. And God loves his children enough to challenge them, to recalibrate where their intentionality and their affections are going. 
So here's the second thing we see. Love is the foundation of our relationship with God. Love is the foundation of our relationship. We've said this in the past before here, that Christ didn't come to establish a religion. He came to restore a relationship. So let's look at verse 4. He says, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you have at first. But then he calls him back to recalibrate. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. This idea of remember is, think right now in this moment, the very first time you came to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Can you remember that moment? For some of you, it maybe was a specific like event or a specific time. For some of you, it was this gradual uh, understanding where God became more and more real to you over a, a, a set of time. I would say for me, um, it was that more gradual thing. I, I mean, there were moments in my life that I can point back to that I said that God really revealed himself in this way. Um, but I would say that my faith was something that kind of started and it grew over time. But, but I think that if we were to just stop and spend just a few seconds just remembering when Jesus called you out of darkness into his marvelous light and that, that feeling that you were feeling, the affection you were feeling, the peace you were feeling, the hope you were feeling, like in all those things, like he's calling us back to that moment. I think often in um, secular relationships, we can go like towards like the first kiss or the first date, right, with the butterflies in your stomach, but it's so much grander than that. It's so much bigger than that because, because it truly is the God of all creation calling us out of death into life. And he's saying, go back and remember that. I mean, have you ever really experienced a passionate desire to know him and to be with him? I mean, that's a really important question because often we can do the church thing without really knowing God, without really understanding who God is and having a personal, intimate relationship with him. I grew up in a Catholic neighborhood. And so a half, I would say 50% of my school would, say, would have said they were Catholic. About half would, were, were Jewish. That was kind of the, it was New York, um, Long Island, New York. And, and that was kind of the neighborhood I would say that I grew up in, at least the friends that I had growing up. Um, and I would say that, that religion was at the forefront. Religion, what they did and how they did it and going to, um, you know, the, the right classes and the right thing. Like that was what was at the forefront of their relationship with God. The religion side of it. The, the duties of it. But on the flip side, that's not what this talks about. This doesn't talk about the religion aspect of it. It talks about the relationship side of it. Even in the laws. Even in all of the Old Testament where we're really focusing in on what we should and shouldn't do, that's based off of the fact that God knows what's best for his children. And he's saying, if you do these things, you will experience life and peace and hope and joy. That sounds like a relationship. That sounds like what I desire and what I want. It's not do this and don't do that because I want you not to do things and I want to, like, remember being a kid and your parents told you you couldn't do something and you felt like they were stopping you from having fun? That's not this thing. God is not saying, don't do these things because I want to stop you from enjoying the world. He's saying, don't do these things because they will only bring you death. 
He's saying these things will only bring you destruction. And he's like, but these things here will bring you the greatest satisfaction and the greatest joy that I will ever experience in my entire life. That's what God is trying to help his children to understand. He's calling us and inviting us into relationship. He left eternity to come down so that we could have a relationship with him. He is serious about this relationship. This isn't an afterthought for him. This isn't secondary to him. He is after your heart. Men, I think we struggle with this. We don't like giving our hearts to things. Maybe to our work, maybe to stuff, but, but intimacy is something that we ha- have not grown up maybe in a culture of me- like real men are intimate. But God wants your heart. He wants a relationship with you. Your wife desires for you to know God and love God above all else. Your kids desire that more than a fancy new car when they graduate high school. For you, their dad, to know God and love God and serve God. Love is the foundation of our relationship with God. The problem that we spoke of um, before was that sin shifts love with God to the world. Um, That's what we're seeing in verse 6, where the the, uh, Nicolaitans um, are are this kind of subculture of Ephesus. And this subculture of Ephesus, um, we don't often see them in Scripture. Uh, They're referenced a few times. Um, But but here's what we know that the, the early church fathers wrote about Um, how they were identified as a people who gave themselves or were identified by adultery, lust, idolatry, gluttony, self-indulgence, and luxurious living. Does that sound anything familiar to anything that we experience? No. Okay, let me read that list again. (laughs) Adultery, lust, idolatry, gluttony, self-indulgence, and luxurious living. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's what we're experiencing now. And, and, and here's what's, what, what that culture was attempting to do as the church was growing. They were trying to convince the church to just fold these things in with their belief. Like all of the, the adultery, lust, idolatry, gluttony, like, like, hey, listen, like, why not just keep doing these things and also believe in Jesus? Like, best of both worlds. You can experience all this fun stuff and, and do these things and, and then also believe in Jesus and you're saved and, and hey, let's have a party. Sound familiar? Sound like anything that you're experiencing in the world today? A culture that's saying, hey, all the stuff that the Bible says will bring you death and destruction um, actually won't, and so it's okay to do it, um, as long as you believe in Jesus. There are churches, like, like little C churches, that have the name even church on the side of their building that are preaching that. That's not what this is saying. 
So, so we can't just merge the culture in and just say, hey, let's just kind of have, have it all together. Oh, the Bible maybe doesn't, is not that relevant, so you know, maybe we can do some of this stuff and it's okay. No, 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 no. This outlasts time. This is the word of God. We're not experiencing anything special or different like right now. I don't know why we have this mindset. Maybe we're just a self-centered people, but we have this mindset that uh, this is the first time the world has ever experienced what we're experiencing. I mean, go look at the Greeks, go look at the Romans, go look at um, really any superpower that ever existed. I mean, this is the pattern. Like, they gave themselves to God, God helped them succeed, then the devil steps in, makes them give themselves to all of these things that the Bible says you shouldn't do, and then things crumble. We fall to our knees, and then after a season, we repent, we cry out to God, he restores us back. I mean, it's, that's the cycle that we see. God is saying right now, do not submit to what the Nicolaitans are telling you to do. Do not submit to the world around you saying that these things are okay. Just dabble in them. You always got the get out of hell free card in your back pocket. That's not what this is saying. How do we combat this? We fall in love with Jesus and his word. That's how we combat this. We fall in love with Jesus. We don't obey so Jesus will love us. Jesus pours out his love over, the, uh, over us. Therefore, we joyfully obey. So why does Jesus want his people to love him? Because he knows it will bring them the most joy and satisfaction that they will ever experience in their lives is to know him and be known by him. God is after my heart. He's after your heart. And here's the last thing I want us to talk about. God gives us the blessing of repentance through his great love. Look at verse five. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Relationships start with pursuit. The stuff that comes out of that is just the overflow. And here's what we need to know about a relationship with God. When I say relationship starts with the pursuit, he's the pursuer. He pursues after us. He comes to us and he is after our hearts. And he gives us the blessing of repentance. So here's, here's my, here, I'll just do a public confession here. Um, the last two weeks, for me, um, I've been agitated, uh, overwhelmed, anxious. I, I, that's just kind of the state I've been in. I don't really know why. It's hard to kind of put my finger on, like, why I've felt this way. I mean, there's not, like, this huge revelation I'm coming into this morning. Like, I was sitting in my office before going, like, I probably should have some answers for this. People are going to come up to me afterwards, like, hey, man, what's going on? I don't know. Um, I just, I feel this. I feel this overwhelmed, agitated sense. Um, almost like, like, I'm feeling a little bit empty. And, and I was hanging out with a, with a buddy of mine, Hudson, the other day, and he had asked me, well, what is God telling you in this? And I was like, man... I think what it is is that I'm trying to pour out into the people around me. I've got my bride, and then we now have five little girls in our home. And it's like I've like poured it all out, and then I've got nothing in return. 
I've got nothing left. Um, and so everything else that's like pulling from me is, is just sucking more life out of me. And here's the problem. If there's not a source pouring into me, and I'm not talking about a horizontal source. I'm talking about a vertical source. If I'm not sitting with God and allowing his love to be poured into me, then I really, truly don't have anything to pour out to those around me. If I just give my girls me, then that's pretty mediocre at best. What I need is for God to be pouring into me in such a way that what's overflowing out of me is his love to them. But often we try to just figure it out all on our own. And so what's the solution to that? More time with Jesus. More time sitting at his feet like Mary did and less time being like Martha in the kitchen trying to do all the stuff. We don't set that time up in our lives where we sit before God. We don't set the alarm clock early. We don't go to bed late. And it's, it's usually, if we're being honest, not a time thing because we have time for our favorite shows and our hobbies and the things that we want to do. Oh, but for my health, I have to go to the gym. For your health, you need to spend time with Jesus. Like that, that has eternal ramifications. The gym is going to only be for the very short blip that the Bible calls a vapor. We need to spend time with Jesus. And so God gives us the blessing of repentance to recalibrate, to go back and start again, to go back to the fundamentals. So look at this pattern that we see in verses 5 through 7. And here's the pattern. Remember, repent, return, receive. Remember, repent, return, Receive. Let's look at verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from this place unless you repent. Yet, this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. If the band wants to start making their way back up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap it up here. I want us to look at verse 5 real quick, because this is the great or else that, that we see in Scripture that really brings us a, a little angst, where he says, if not. Like, if you don't repent, um, if not, and then, and then often what people will do is go to this to talk about losing salvation and all that stuff. And, and I, I want to lay some of that to rest, because here's what we know. This is a warning. This is a warning to the church. It's a corporate warning. God's primary tool for the proclamation of the gospel is the church. That's God's primary tool. that He uses the church to proclaim his good news, his name, his love for the world. And if we look at modern Turkey today, we see that the presence of the church is minimal at best. And so we see that the, the, the lampstand of the church, that bright light that a lampstand may bring, um, is not present there anymore. 
Um, and so, but that doesn't mean that God won't do a work there. It doesn't mean that God won't send other lampstands into that place to bring light, right? It doesn't mean that the church is completely wiped out because God always has a remnant, right? So it, I'm not saying that the devil's won and modern Turkey's lost. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that we see that this lampstand that brought light to this community has dwindled because they didn't heed the word of the Lord, which is to return to their first love. We do not want to be that people. And so... No love for God, a relationship with God, until death does result in eternal damnation. Head knowledge and belief does not save. In fact, the, the Bible even speaks of the demons. In the book of James, he says that even the demons believe. The demons know who Jesus is. They spent time with him in heaven as angels at one point. They know his power, they know where he sits, they know what he's capable of and what he does. They know they've already lost. Even the demons believe and shudder. They do not submit to him as their Lord and Savior. They do not have a relationship, they do not have love for Jesus. And so head knowledge, just knowing these things, is not what it's all about. It's actually a love and affection and a relationship with God. God creates all humans for relationship with him. So we may not be able to resolve the, the big or else in this moment for the entirety of the church, but you can for you. I want you to hear that right now. You can resolve this for you. Don't live in the or else. Don't live in this place of saying, uh, or else what? Oh, or else I'm separated for all of eternity from a holy God. Believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Receive his love. And you will spend eternity with him forevermore. So here's the good news. When we repent, we enter into relationship with Jesus. And this is what we receive. And this is what we see in verse 7. We receive his victory. The one who conquers, overcomes. That means the one who carries off the victory. His victory is our victory. That, that's why we're gathered here today, by the way. If, in case you didn't know that, like we're celebrating a win. Like when we're going to sing at the end, like we're celebrating a win. Like we're cheering. Like if you ever hear people cheer at the end of a song, it's not because the song was a good song. It, it's, it's not because the, bland, the band played it perfectly. Like they're cheering because we're celebrating a win. Like his victory is our victory. So what do we receive? We receive the victor's crown. What do we receive? We receive eternal life. You will eat from the tree of life. That should be good news for us. In a hopeless, broken world, God promises that for those that love him, have a relationship with him, you will eat from the tree of life and I promise you that fruit is going to be good and the last thing we receive paradise you will enter into the paradise of God church we're, we're about to stand up and sing when, when we sing it's not because we just want to do some kind of a practice of uh, similarity week in and week out we sing because God gives us song so that we could proclaim truth. 
in a joyful noise. And it doesn't matter if it's on key and it doesn't matter if it's off beat. It says joyful noise. So, as we started this service, God holds you, his church, his children in his hand. He is present with you. Love him with all that you have. Let's pray. Jesus, I repent, Lord, for not sitting at your feet more. God, I love um, the ability to come here with my brothers and my sisters. come before you, to repent, to confess, to look at your word, to see what your word has to say to us, and then to be able to leave here and be encouraged by the family that you have surrounded us with. God, this is so rare that we get to do what we do in a place with freedom, and brothers and sisters who love and care for us, and so God, I pray that we would enjoy this but more than that God that we would enjoy you that we would open up your word that we would go before you in prayer that if we don't understand how to do those things that we would enter into biblical community whether it's a community group a bible study or just meeting with a mentor or someone to disciple us God I pray that we would be the type of people that wouldn't just push off a relationship with you because we don't know how but that we would press into the body that you have given us so that we can grow in our relationship with you. So that we would be a, the type of church that is defined by our love for you and our love for one another. God, I pray that we would love the world around us so much, Lord, that we would bring this good news that in you there is life and apart from you there is only death and destruction. God, when the culture is trying to infiltrate our hearts and our minds and tell us that what your word says is bad and, and the world is telling us it's good, I pray that we would be able to combat that because we know your word and we stand on your word and we trust your word. And even though sometimes we don't understand it, Lord, we're gonna just hold to it. I pray for the culture that we're in of the Nicolaitans, Lord. I pray that we would be able to combat it with our love for you and your word. God, stir something new and fresh inside of us. God, help us remember to where we once came. Remember the joy that we've experienced in other seasons. But God, we know that you're not a replicator. You don't replicate those old feelings. You create new ones. And so for those here today that feel dry, for those here today that feel alone, for those here today that, that feel like they can't pull it together, I pray that right now your Holy Spirit would come upon them and that they would receive fresh, new, amazing, creative love and affection for you through your power, through your Holy Spirit. God, if there's anybody in here today doubting, if there's anybody in here that has not repented, believed, and has been baptized, I pray that their spirit would be convicted and that they would lay at your feet and know that they are fully known and that they are fully loved. God, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.